we don't think that our universe is part of a bigger ensemble that uh, that obeys laws. Even if it's part of the multiverse, the multiverse is not part of a bigger ensemble that obeys laws. Therefore, nothing gives us the right to demand some kind of external cause. The idea that our intuitions about cause and effect that we get from the everyday experience of the world in this room should somehow be extended without modification to the fundamental nature of reality is fairly absurd. The gentleman you just heard is atheist and cosmologist Dr. Sean Carroll, attempting to explain that our understanding of causality doesn't apply to the universe. But if we strip away our basic understanding of cause and effect, we essentially undermine the entire enterprise of science. As the legendary character Spock in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, says, quote, as a matter of cosmic history, it has always been easier to destroy than to create, end quote. Though a line from a Hollywood movie, it is nonetheless true. Even if Dr. Carroll were successful in making the universe safe for atheism, as James Sinclair says, there is nothing within the often polemical opposition to Christian theism that offers any explanation or hope as to how we ought to think of our place in the universe at this very moment or how we should treat one another. Models of the universe that attempt to get around the idea of God and the origin of our universe may have logically sound mathematical equations, but do these models transfer into any kind of physical reality? Would human beings be able to inhabit them, or are they just models of destruction? We both believe that if, if you're going to be an intellectually honest theist, you need to accord with the best data from the universe. And as we both agree, science is not in the job of proving things with metaphysical certitude. It says that models get better and better at fitting the data. I think that that works just as well for theism as it does for naturalism. Our guest on this episode is physicist and Christian James Sinclair, who here in part two helps us understand two difficulties for which naturalistic paradigms of our universe must give an account. Time and entropy. What is the nature of time? And what exactly is entropy? And why do these factors pose significant problems for naturalistic models of the cosmos? How are they best explained by the existence of God rather than secular science? We also tackle the big questions of why any of this matters. One may look around and declare that we are insignificant in the cosmos, but as human beings, we certainly do not live as though that were true. Our value, worth, and significance are not determined by our size, location in the cosmos, or science. We are significant because we are made in the image and likeness of our Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here again is James Sinclair. Mm -hmm. There's an entity which must transcend the universe itself. And the moment you get there, then... I'm no longer asking questions about, um, I'm not stuck in what I call the Sherlock Holmes conundrum, where the, the, you remember in uh, what Sherlock Holmes 
uh, in one of those mysteries uh, said something to the effect that, hey, we've just looked at all the hypotheses and all of them are absurdly impossible, you know, unlikely. However, one of them must be true. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, or, uh, uh, you know, so-and-so doesn't look like it could possibly be guilty, but it must be because uh, somebody is. Uh, That's kind of where you get, and if you go into mathematics and Bayesian probability arguments, you're getting into this idea of what I call the prior probability, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is a good structure. If you want to go math, that's what, uh, what we're talking about. But you that, that's what that's the Sherlock Holmes conundrum or that, that happens in the resurrection argument, too. I've got 18 different atheist explanations of, of why the body wasn't in the tomb, uh, despite the resurrection. And they're all absurdly unlikely. But if uh, if God is out there and he resurrected and there was a resurrection, uh, isn't a uh, that there is your direct your abductive reasoning now. If the mm-hmm. list of possibilities doesn't include God, then one of these other things has to be true, right? Doesn't matter how this is Richard Carrier's argument. Doesn't matter how absurdly improbable. This is where Kalam gets you past that in, uh, uh, initial barrier. It said, "Look, there's got to be a cause." And initially, in the simple Kalam argument, it's a small c because we don't know what the nature of it is yet. All we know is the universe is contingent; it's dependent. That in philosophy is what you mean uh, by contingency. It's an entity which is dependent on something else for its existence. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's dependent on what? Something. Okay. Right. What small, c, something? small c. The moment yeah. you go there, I've got a something which goes on my list of explanations uh, because it, it's capable uh, uh, of creating universes. Okay. Uh, and that's now I can do the abductive reasoning. So. Mm-hmm. This is how you structure a Christian apologetic, uh, even with respect to the resurrection. How do I deal with the fact of the prior probability, the Richard Carrier prior probability, uh, the um, for God's existence? I said, look, we're showing a direct argument, and the metaphysical arguments for God's existence, the direct metaphysical, like the the. Uh, the Thomas Aquinas arguments. Mm-hmm. Robert Spitzer has some arguments in a book that he put out a couple of years ago, for example. I think Five New Proofs for Existence of God was the name of it. Uh, but these are metaphysical arguments, okay, which get you past the the uh, the issue with the abductive reasoning, uh, and it, it puts it puts God on the list of explanations. And now I can go over here and make my abductive reasoning in the various arguments that. Uh, uh, that, that we use that route. So that's where I am sitting there uh, while uh, Sean Carroll's giving his, his, his opening address in this debate is said is that he's making accusations about you're doing certain things and uh, it, it, God is a bad theory. It doesn't fit into the proper way to do, to do um, reasoning about where you get knowledge from is, is basically what he's talking about. I said, I'm not doing any of those things. And I said, well, gee, I hope that we have a chance to talk about all of this. But mm-hmm. uh, the debate format, you know, it would be nice if there was a continuing conversation or have another debate. Uh, yeah. The follow yeah, up. Well, the, the nature um, of debates, formal debates, is very, uh, it's very limited. So, but it was, it was very worth doing. Yeah. If yeah. you look at what happened, you know, it was 2014, I think, between, you know, 1996 mm-hmm. and 2014 what happened in the intellectual milieu, so to speak. 
what happened or that people like Lawrence Krauss, Alan Guth, Sean Carroll felt a need to speak at the public level about this argument. That was the real significance mm. of the debate in 2014. Yeah. That, okay, you need to uh, uh, please get out there and talk about it. Uh, uh, so it was definitely worth doing. It was a positive event and it was a mutual talking back and forth on the same stage. We're still talking uh, past each other to some degree, but at least we're talking. Uh, and we're, I guess we're still kind of in that place where that's still possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Okay. So there's been some development since then um, uh, with regard to, Oh, we know a little bit more string theory than, uh, than we used to. Uh, you, you can get into uh, a different kind of multiverse. Is what what do we think is going on? The the Kalam argument, I think, is still pretty much where it was. Remember, the main debate. This kind of got put aside. Okay, uh, let's just talk about. Okay, we were talking about the initial part. The initial part was what's the nature of causation? Is it even an allowed question? Um, are theists doing stupid things about philosophy of science? This is Sean Carroll's argument. Um, second, let's put that mess over here. I think that's if I if you just let me tell you what I'm doing, which I uh, explained a little bit uh, uh, about. I, uh, I think you can deal with that. Uh, and I think actually, let me make a larger point. Here is a point where uh, maybe I disagree with Dr. Carroll, um, and this is going to be a little scary for Christians uh, because I'm going to use the E word, evolution. <laughs> Okay, but I don't mean Darwin's evolution. (laughs) What I mean is what I call capital E evolution, which things change with respect to time as acted on by laws of physics. Okay, I come from that physical metaphysic, that metaphysical. That's really a metaphysical statement. What is the nature of really going on? There are laws. I'm a necessitarian as opposed to a regularist. That's the name of the debate in philosophy. Mm. Like if you see regular things happen like the apple falls off that comes off the tree and falls to the ground. And it does that every time. Now, Isaac Newton, um, does that happen? Cause there's some law of gravity acting on it or is there some, well, it kind of just looks that way. It's just acts. It's uh, accidental. That would be that we see the regularist would say, and this is kind of the position that I believe Sean Carroll's taken in that debate, or at least he was defending along that line that particular night was, Oh, okay. I saw the apple fall from the tree. Well, that's a regularity that I see, but I'm not going to attribute that to a law of nature. Uh, a necessitarian says there's some objectively existing thing. And um, from a Christian standpoint, we would call that a secondary cause. Mm-hmm. We would say God created, by the way, Muslims don't necessarily agree with this. Muslims seem to be a lot uh, occasionalist where they believe God's acting directly on things and that there aren't necessarily laws of physics. And there are some Christians that defend that even in the modern day. I think that was Bishop Berkeley, right? Um, but we, nor, so the position I take is that God did create the universe as a separate entity. And, it, and it, I don't know what the nature uh, of how it's governed and what it's doing, but there are objective laws. There's some, somehow uh, it's enforced and those laws act and they change things. So there's actually capital E evolution going on. Um, by the way, the nature of time that Dr. Craig and I defend, which is called the tense version or the A version of time, uh, that's how time works also. 
uh, Dr. Craig would have a heart attack if you heard me mention that this stuff. If I say time flows, that's <laughs> actually not a good way in philosophy to say. It. But that's well, kind of at the public. That, let me. That's, uh, that's kind of how time works. Let's uh, let's just briefly, if you would, for our listeners, uh, give us a uh, a dollar store version of a theory uh, time, if you would. Yeah. Um, it's ten fifty nine a.m. Oh, is that me? Okay. That's my Siri. Thank you, Siri. I don't know why you said that. You're welcome. <laughs> She's so polite. <laughs> anyway, um, just just okay. for our just for let me, people. Let me indicate why this is important first. Um, when you when you're in the cosmological argument, I said that's our base. That's our starting point. Okay, because that's going to show me intellectually whether there's a transcendent cause that I need to deal small c cause initially. Uh, is there something that I have that, that that's out there? That, that is the explanation of the universe. Okay, and the second premise there is the universe began to exist. And there's two parts of that. Uh, that's part of it is that, did the universe have a beginning? And that's what that's the thing that cos- modern cosmology has something to say about. And that's why I do a lot of work uh, in that angle. But the, the other part, the other half of that is what's the nature of time? Because uh, there is... There's more than two now, but there's two dominant versions of time out there, which are called the tensed versus the tenseless. Now, in the tensed version, which we defend, also called the A version as opposed to the B version of time, there's such a thing as an objective now. We're saying the present really exists. When we're, there is a now uh, that uh, across the, the universe that uh, objectively exists and is marching on because time is marching on. And capital E evolution is acting. And we're taking that universe at in the present. And as time is marching, we're evolving it and changing it according to laws of physics. Okay, it doesn't mm-hmm. sound that controversial, does it? It's, it's actually very controversial uh, in, in philosophical circles. Okay, so the other way of thinking of time is it's kind of like, it's called the, the tenseless version. So if I say August 3rd at five o'clock, that is a tenseless version of referring to a moment in time because it, it has nothing to, no reference to an objective present. Okay. So what you have is time is like a thing that just hangs and whatever, and think about like a ruler. Imagine I'm holding a meter stick or a yardstick. Um, up and if i'm holding up a yardstick and you can see the numbers on it okay so imagine that that's a representation temporally of what the universe is like in the b version or tenseless version of time uh it's time can have edges to it but there's no significance to those edges it's just like the end of the ruler on the other hand in the tensed version you've got an actual moment of creation where no the universe doesn't exist and then boom it exists okay there's an origin event that's what we mean by things begin to exist not just is there a beginning so the philosophy of time uh is very significant in these debates and in the kalam argument which is the cosmological argument that we're talking about which is based on begin at the beginning of the universe it's a prerequisite 
uh, of the conclusion is this nature of time, that evolution is a real metaphysical thing in nature. So the strange thing about the cosmological argument, unlike, say, uh, other arguments that go on, is that it's the theists who are arguing in favor of evolution and the atheists who are arguing against it. So um, it's, it's a switch, okay, uh, compared to what happens in biology. Uh, where uh, you've got a whole uh, different thing going on. Uh, to, to sort of break it down simplistically, um, the, the Kalam, the, the tensed A version of time is, to state it in very layman's terms, um, somebody punched the clock on the microwave and started at one minute and and it's it's growing from there. Time began, or the timer, if you want. Somebody started the stopwatch, and it, it with a with a with a high degree of of order, and and uh, or low entropy, if you will, high order, low entropy. And the the clock started, and uh, and even Sean Carroll says in the debate, if this universe is all there is, we have a fine tuning problem because we have a very low entropic state. Why would the universe be that way? He tries to, it's interesting, he tries to argue that God, if God exists, he, 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 he made too much, uh, he, he fine-tuned it way too low, uh, that there's way too much uh, low entropy going on at the beginning of the universe. Interesting argument. That, yeah, uh, yeah, you're getting into a bunch of different issues together there. Well, yeah, I, I Dr. didn't. Dr. Carroll actually says many things in his academic writings that are helpful to us. So... By the way, so we never want to come off as if uh, any of our uh, the people we're having conversations with, Dr. Carroll in this case, are being dishonest or no, 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 absolutely a rhetorical force. No, because he's he's saying a lot of things that are statement against interest, also, and you just named one of them because he really believes the uh, the entropy thing is uh, kind of wall that off, treated as a, a separate issue. Actually, let me talk about the time and then transition to the okay entropy, yeah sorry like. yeah okay uh because to make it clear here's another way to talk about um what dr craig believes about the nature of time he says the past and the future don't exist only the present exists okay and the present becomes the future okay while in the tenseless or b version of time the past and the yeah, well, there is actually no objective path. It's just all the, the whole timeline just exists together. It, uh, everything exists. So George Washington still exists. Ancient Greece still exists. Whatever the future is already exists. Uh, and it's just, um, it's just there. Okay. And it's and like a ruler. I can just point to a spot on it and say, yeah, what's going on now. Okay. So, uh, yeah, George Washington is still crossing the Delaware and he's still there doing it. Okay. So in, in that particular version of time. So that's one thing. So the, I'll just call it the common sense view of time that the present really looks real given the eye test. Okay. It takes a lot of education to, to disabuse yourself of the idea. The You have to say, I don't believe what my eyes are seeing. Okay. So, the other thing, you transitioned to uh, an issue which is a, about entropy and uh, what that has to do with time. And that folds into 
two different issues. One of them has to do with the beginning of the universe or the cosmological argument. And another has to do with the fine tuning or design argument. Here's a, a, a really good charitable way of, of getting at what Sean Carroll was trying to say. He was trying to make the world safe for, for atheism, for a universe that does have a beginning to it. As he said, because he's taken on the first premise. He's saying, I don't care if... Uh, the universe had a beginning, and he wasn't, and he was trying to do it not by attacking time, the philosophy of time, which is what I thought that Tim Maudlin was going to do and didn't. Um, the what he was saying is because causation isn't what you think it is, uh, it doesn't matter if the universe had a beginning. Okay, so, so, but as a subsidiary point, and this is him later in the debate, he says I can show you models that are beginningless that that uh, cosmologists are talking about and so he had an argument against both the first and the second premise which is fine that's a, a good way to do it okay so and the uh, one of the reasons i think he goes that route is because a lot of the things he says in his academic writings are tend to be helpful toward the column argument so he believes in something called the past hypothesis. You know what the past hypothesis is? That, and, and he, here's the example that he'll use in some of his writings. Let's say that um, you want to know, okay, you walk into a room and you see nobody's in there, but you see a glass with ice cubes in it. Does that imply anything about whether someone was in that room recently uh the and the answer is yes because ice cubes melt <laughs> and so and they're still there so it can't have been that long ago that someone put the the glass down on the table unless it's uh 10 degrees in the room yeah uh yes i assume that too. <laughs> <laughs> which it was here in texas uh when our power went out we had a snowmageddon uh yes i went to school in texas for a while so i know very well how the weather can roll in yeah and we it, had a we had an awful 10 winter. degrees in an afternoon yes that's I know. right well, we had uh, we had an awful winter anyway you're right so ice cubes imply sentient intelligence and okay. and recent so what, recent activity well, even well that's not what he's getting at he's talking strictly about uh entropy in the measure of disorder or usable, another way to put it, usable energy. Usable energy, right. Okay, yeah. So we have energy sources. That energy itself is conserved in nature. That's the first law of thermodynamics. But it changes form. Mm -hmm. And it changes form in such a way that it goes from useful, meaning you can do mechanical work with it, to useless, which is mm -hmm. generally heat. So a common example would be you put gas in your car, and you expend the gas, it goes out of your tailpipe as carbon monoxide. You can't stuff that carbon monoxide back into your car and use it for gas again. This is what this is a classic example, I would say, of, of, of energy of matter and energy changing and becoming useful at one point and then becoming basically useless. Yeah, so let me tell you, and I can say it in a way that, that's easily accessible. Okay, so there's so therefore there's a principle, there's no free lunch. There's no mm -hmm. perpetual motion machine. Right, right. Okay. And however, in cosmology, if you want to build a model which is beginningless, typically you have to say it is a perpetual motion machine. You'll have to say, 
aha, there's a, there's an exception to that because mm-hmm. that's what I need to get my begin English universe. Right. Which right. isn't something that Sean Carroll necessarily agrees with, by the way. Okay. So he's mm-hmm. helpful to us on this particular topic. Okay. Cause there's a really interesting way that thermodynamics work. Okay. And we get, again, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the ice cubes in the glass. Okay. Cause the universe is kind of like that. When we look at the universe, what we see are that stars are still burning. There's still life sites in the universe, you know, at least at planet Earth. So there's usable energy that's permitting life. That's kind of like the ice cubes in the glass, right? That shows that there's an implication there that the clock hasn't been going for all eternity. Otherwise, all the ice cubes would have melted. All the candles would have burnt out. You know, the stars would have burnt out. And you'll get to what's called the heat death of the universe. It's just a uniform bath of heat which the energy is all still there, but it's no longer in a usable form. So the very fact that we're here and there's still food to eat, there's still stars burning is an the implication seems to be that uh, there was a beginning to the finite past. That's the basic argument uh, for thermodynamics for the beginning of the universe. Now, once that gets into a whole lot of different sophistication, uh, which we can unpack if you like about how do you deal with that argument? Uh, like, uh, let me go into the little, well, I, little let's, list. let's maybe, um, let me take it in this direction and see if this matches where you're thinking. And, and I could maybe hopefully tee you up for a, a, a good shot here. Um, Dr. Carroll in the lecture, and we briefly mentioned this already, but, uh, he kind of quips that he went online and Googled 17 different models of the universe that were eternal. And I think this is what we're, you're talking about the, what we would might call what you just said, the the free lunch models of the universe. And, and it's interesting. Go ahead. Go ahead. Are you referring to the, the part of the debate where he put up a PowerPoint slide that had a list of beginningless mm-hmm. models on it. Is that yes, right. Okay. If you really believe that the beginning of the universe is an important piece of evidence for God, an eternal universe with a low entropy state in the middle is not helping your case. What you should be doing is trying to build models, like I said. So the question is, are there realistic models of eternal cosmologies? Well, I spent half an hour on the internet. I was able to come up with about 17 different plausible-looking models of eternal cosmologies. I do not claim that any of these is the right answer. We're nowhere near the right answer yet. But you, you can come up with objections to every one of these models. You cannot say that they are not eternal. To me, Okay, so here's the question it, re- it raises in my lay mind, uh, James. Okay, I'm sitting there in, in New Orleans, and I'm watching this, and I'm fascinated by the cosmos. I'm not a philosopher. I'm not a scientist. And I hear Dr. Carroll say, look at all these eternal models of the cosmos. My brain goes immediately to, no, wait a minute. Is eternity a science concept that, that can be tested? Are we just, why are we positing eternal models? And to me, and I, I don't, I, I, this comes from my, my Christianity, but it also just comes from a, a sort of a common sense perspective that it seems like you're saying, okay, no God, I want to make the universe safe uh, for atheism, as you said earlier. And so in order to do that, I have to make something eternal. So I get rid of God, but I'm still left. And, and it actually doesn't do that. 
And I think Sean Carroll agrees with this point. I think he was, that's why he didn't make it his main point in the debate. And he mostly attacked the first premise. That's why he said, look, I have, it was more like this. I have colleagues that believe they found beginningless models and here they are. So how come you go have to deal with this? Okay, so, but let me bring in two larger points. And this is something, I'll give you something that Stephen Hawking said that I think Sean Carroll would be sympathetic with. And this is the reason that Hawking ended up making the models that he did. Uh, the, what Hawking would say is, and he has a direct quote that I could find the paper and the quote for you. I think I may even have it on Twitter somewhere in my, at my Twitter site. Okay. Hawking said, doing away with the beginning of the universe by positing a past eternal model doesn't solve your God problem at all. Because the thing that you, that philosophically you don't like about the beginning is this thing called a boundary condition where, you know, why does the universe look the way it does act the way it does the, the, why does it have the nature that it does? Okay. That's all defined uh, uh, by this boundary condition. Okay, and uh, the interview that you did with Stephen Meyer, uh, uh, he gives a good example of this, which I think I use too, of a, uh, let's talk about a guitar string. Okay, there's laws of physics which deal with the vibration of the string, but the, the nature of exactly what the note is going to sound like is dictated by some additional criteria which is, for example, uh, where, are the where, where are the boundaries that this string is attached to, okay? Which, so there's a boundary, it, the beginning of the universe would work somewhat like this. There's a boundary condition which sets up, which if there's a big bang explosion, what's gonna come out of that explosion, right? And it looks to physicists like that's arbitrary, which drives people like Stephen Hawking nuts because Physicists are naturally people who want to explain things. This is why they're looking for a theory of everything. Okay, so what Hawking was saying is all you're doing by positing a past eternal model is taking your boundary condition and moving it to past infinity, which solves nothing about your God problem. Okay, so I, and that is a very powerful statement. You actually, there's a lot of physicists who think that they're solving this problem and they're not uh, by positing past eternal uh, universes. And by the way, they're past eternal beginning lists are similar terms, but they don't have to be they, they can be slightly different. Uh, uh, so most of all use the term past eternal. Okay. So that's one problem. Okay. The other problem, and again, I think, Sean Carroll's actually sympathetic with us on this because there's quotes in his academic papers, not just his public writings about this. If you want a, if you want a universe like that, so even aside from the fact you haven't solved your problem, can you build a decent past eternal model? And I'm talking strictly here from a thermodynamic perspective. You have to do a really, you have to do really tricky things um, which Sean Carroll, the way he describes it is 
is it's awfully strange. It's not necessarily wrong, but it just doesn't look right. And here's what you have to do thermodynamically. If you believe that the second law of thermodynamics, which is the disorder, it pretty much is going to go up as time passes. And there's this thing called Poincaré recurrences, which you have to, that's why you have people like me going and dealing with all the exception conditions. That's what I do in my writings. Okay. So what I'm doing is unpacking this slowly. Let's go the next step up. Okay. The, how are you, am I going to get a situation where the entropy of the universe can grow from past eternality and still look like it does in the present, okay? Because what the example that we just used about the, the, uh, the, the ice cubes in the glass, you know, or the hot cup of coffee, uh, the, um, it looks a lot like if we have stars that are still burning that you, ha- you can't have past eternality. But there is a mathematical way of doing that. What you can say you can set up a mathematical structure where you get a finite amount of entropy increase over an infinite time. And now I, to me, I would use the term special pleading. That doesn't look right to me. Sean Carroll in his writings uses the word strange. It doesn't look like a viable model. You can do it. It's not, it's, you can't look at it and say, aha, logic error. So I'm ruling you out based on a logic error or a math error but you get a very strange looking model and you can't really explain how it is that you get there. So let me, uh, let me see if I can, I'm sorry for interrupting. Let me see if I can uh, explain in a, in a colloquial aspect, what you're saying. It would be like, um, let's say a past eternal model would be my, uh, a, a, a never emptying gas tank, right? So, so I have this unlimited amount of gas. I never have to stop for gas. I just keep going and going and going, but I can do a mathematical fudge. No, it's not never empty. It's not never. You actually have a finite amount of gas in there. And yet somehow you have to make that gas last for all eternity. Okay. So it's backwards. How are you going to do that? Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because if you turn the engine on, it's going to burn that gas out and it's going to happen no matter how low your throttle setting is. Right. So how do you, how do I get, how do I overcome that? I'm saying mathematically what I say is I can, um, in, uh, I, I can set up a way of dealing with infinity that I burn a finite amount of gas over infinite time. Now, how you do that, they don't specify. They just say that's what happens. <laughs> there, okay. are, there are some stretches of eternity where you're not driving, perhaps. <laughs> uh, I'm saying there's, there's nothing logically or mathematically wrong with that structure of model. So I can't point at it and say, that's, aha, uh-huh, there are your math errors. So uh, but it don't sound like you can do it, does it? That's so why there's Sean a call it strange. So there's a difference uh, between conceptual conceptual frameworks where the math works. There's logical mathematical consistency, but 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 what the failure is is to translate into flesh and blood into to, into reality as we would understand it. Right? That, that, that you can do yeah. conceptual math. But Here's you, another way to put it. Let me get at another point. If you look in these models, and you say, "Can I go visit any point in time in the past?" It turns out that any point in time, any point in this supposedly eternal past that you visit is always a finite time from the Big Bang or the present. Us sitting here mm-hmm. having this nice interview, we might as well just 
talk about that time interval. There's no point that you can exist on where you can say, hey, it's really eternity between me and us having this nice conversation on this particular day. Okay, so whenever you look at the model physically as a real physical point you can exist at, there is no past eternality. Yeah. There's only a first past eternality if, if you're just talk abstractly and there's no observers uh, that you can point to and say, what does the observer look at? So it just looks like, uh, I don't want to say a mathematical trick exactly because that implies a motive. That's not right. It, it's more like, it's more like I'm sitting here. I, I want to deal with this issue about the beginning by pushing it arbitrarily into the past would you can say I do it? Yes, I can come up with these things called static models where um, there's other ways to do it. Would you say, James, that, that, that what you're talking about basically, if I'm following it, is this is something like what uh, Albert Einstein did when he wanted to park the universe. Like, I don't want it to be moving, so I'm going to throw this little equation in here, which does stop the universe in the, on paper, is that what's happening here? That we're we're conceptually yes. adding the lambda, and yes, there's to... a whole. Yeah, that's called the Einstein static state. That was the original static model. Mm-hmm. So the reason Einstein did that is that when he came up with general relativity, most uh, thinkers in that period and before, I, I believe that they defended an idea that the universe is in a steady state that lasted from all eternity. And then Einstein says, I'm going to do general relativity. And it comes out and it predicts that that's not true at all, that the universe is either in a expanding or contracting state. And Einstein came out not believing his own equations. So he said, I have to, I could put this arbitrary factor in there that can tend to balance it between the, the two tendencies of contraction and expansion. And if I do that, ah, now I've got a model which looks like it's static for all eternity. Okay, and you've got um, some problems with that. First of all, can you really do that and make it static for all eternity? Because the way that Einstein's model was set up, it's unstable. It's kind of like having a basketball sitting on top of a hill. And as long as nobody touches it, it'll stay there. But the moment there's a tiny little perturbation, it'll roll down the hill, right? So where do you get, and this is, a, this is not just something that scientists were talking about in 1929, that this is the active discussion that's going on today. It's about, well, what about perturbations and what effects do they have on these static models? And um, so you have to deal uh, with that, that uh, the fact that they're, they're very strange looking models because you have to like, it's like the, uh, the uh, irresistible force versus the immovable object. I have to have a thing which stays stable for all eternity. So it has to very powerfully be stable. And at the same time, I have to upset it and make the big bang happen. Okay. As uh, at some point, the universe goes into the kind of expansion that we see today. Right. Right. So how do you do this push-pull between these two opposed concepts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And can you build structures that do it? Uh, Yeah, but it looks like special pleading to me. And uh, cosmologists like uh, Audrey Mathani and um, Alex Blanken 
uh, um, Anthony Aguirre, have written uh, another guy named Key Hyas, I believe, have written papers that suggest that the perturbations that can happen make it unstable anyway. Even if you mm-hmm. set up special kind of structures where there's finite expansion over all eternity or finite entropy growth over all eternity, um, these things, the, the uh, it's not a knockdown argument. This is a likelihood argument. Do these are these models viable? It, it just looks like the models don't work anyway. Mm. So that's where you end up. Now that's the so that's the thermodynamic part of the the earlier statement you were talking about with entropy. Thermodynamics yeah. seems to s- provide evidence for beginning to the finite past. There's mm. other models. There's these this reversal of uh, the arrow of time models. The, that are out there. Of course, there's oscillating models that you could talk about. Thermodynamics and all of them, once you unpack it, tends to give pretty good evidence in favor of beginning to the finite past. Okay. Well, I've got a couple of questions. We got. I'm kind of running out of time. I wish we could go on for hours and hours. We certainly could, and we'll have to revisit all of this, James. This has been really fun. We go from Carl Sagan science fiction to Sean Carroll and cosmology. It's great. Um, so let, I know this was an aside that had nothing to do with the context of the debate there in New Orleans, but I do find it fascinating anyway, an insight into Dr. Carroll's mind about theism and God in general, because as, as Dr. Craig has often gotten asked after lectures, and I'm sure you've heard it many times, um, because the Kalam by itself doesn't get us to the risen Christ of scripture, you 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 establish the small c of kalam and then you you make that and then you do your abductive uh assessments of what that small c might be and so but but it's interesting in in, in dr carroll's opening statement in this debate he makes several statements about what one would expect and i i, I see this a lot in the atheist uh f- philosophical literature when it's trying to argue against god what one would expect on naturalism versus one what one would expect on theism. And I found Dr. Carroll's expectations to be minimally, I wouldn't even say very persuasive. It just seemed like a very, not even a robust philosophical assumption about what we would expect. He makes statements like, if there, well, for example, there's no reason for God to give special messages to this or that primitive tribe thousands of years ago. And and so it seems like you 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 he has this, this theological, st- theological statement, which we Theolo- talk, it, yeah. but you're not bringing your authority from cosmology behind it, right? <laughs> yeah, which that's, is fine. Yeah, that's, that's fine. okay. Like, oh, we're talking about, but, right, uh, right, and that's that's okay. But it seems like it, it, from the perspective in the initial part of the debate, which you know, of course, God is God behind all this. It seems right away that Dr. Carroll is in a um, epistemically very limited. Um, theologically or even philosophically, a very limited view of, of, of theism, because he says on the one hand, theism is not well-defined, but that is he's making objections to theism. Remember, he, there's no objective purposes in uh, an atheist universe where the only thing that happens, even if causes are permitted, which they're, uh, and, and the efficient causation is the only thing that's, that, that's out there. But the moment you allow mind with free will, you can have purposes for things, can't you? You sure can. Right. So, uh, and, um, 
God doesn't expect all of us to go out and put up telescopes and look and see if the universe is expanding and try to ferret out using sophisticated reason that these things are going on. And right. then you painstakingly, exactly. I think Kierkegaard made this statement about, uh, do we really, does God really expect us to sit for our whole lives? And by the time you're age 83, you free say, aha, I've proven that God exists. Now I can go and live my life. And then you die. Right. I got enough okay. hope of time and all that so, stuff. Yeah. No, it can't, can't be that way. So it makes perfect sense that God would cut to the chase uh, and so what Christians believe, I, uh, that's a dangerous thing to say uh, exactly, because there's, uh, there's Roman Catholics and Protestants and mm. Eastern. Okay, mm. uh, but I'll make a general statement that there's this unfolding of who God is and his plan that he reveals over time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so even what he was saying to who at a, at a particular, you know, the ancient Hebrews uh, say, well, why are we going through the slavery in Egypt? And all that? What was he saying to them and why? And why do they want to march through Sinai and all that? And why did it, uh, you know, why do we have uh, all the things that happen? God, uh, he's, he's got a plan where he's revealing what you need to know <laughs> at the time you need to know it. Okay, so the first thing is he's revealing it. And the way he's got to do that is he's got to talk to you because there's the, that's the general revelation versus the special revelation. The general rele- revelation, we're out there saying, isn't it wonderful how the universe appears designed? Yeah. But it's not telling me necessarily, God, is there? Now, now we get past the what of it to the why mm-hmm. uh, uh, of it. And there's actual purpose out there or, or a teleological ends to why we're here. So God's telling us, okay, now let me teach you some things over time. A lot of people think, I don't think this is a hard theological point in Christianity, that that the earth is like a school where God needs to show you some things. Mm -hmm. And and here's just a Sinclair belief, which could totally be wrong, and I'm willing to be refuted on it. But there's a difference between book knowledge and experiential knowledge, which might be why Jesus to earth and and lived as he did uh, before he was crucified. And resurrected. Okay. So God says, you know, I'm going to have to show you some things straight out. Maybe the nature of evil. Maybe that's why a reason why evil exists. And this is part of that. Mm-hmm. And that's also why it's finite. We say, hey, the world, I'd really like to stay around. I want to search for immortality. Uh, God said, no, it's not why you're here. Okay. You're here for this purpose. Uh, and I'm going to pull it out of you. And I'm showing you lessons through history. This is why um, in the Lord's prayer, where you pray for, you know, lead us not into temptation. <laughs> what that really is talking about is, is testing, like the testing of Job. You say, well, Lord, don't use me. Please don't have me be the cautionary tale. So people 10,000 years from now can look back and say, shouldn't have done that. Okay. But those episodes do appear in salvation history. And that's in the Bible. And it's, you know, what those Israelites did during the time of the judges, yeah, okay, I can see why that was wrong. Okay, so we can kind of see now. Um, God needs to talk to you in different for, and that's where the purpose of it is, rather than just the mere existence. You know, we talked at the very beginning, let's bring a, come full circle, about is it just enough to exist, or is there more to what humans, sentient beings are, 
that uh, why do we go out and do space travel uh, and think there's more there's more to life and it's uh, enough that you have to have that over mere survival criteria uh, there so that was the initial part of the discussion well now we're kind of back to that what's the purpose of, of us being here why did god create this school or however he did it for whatever purpose uh, we can uh, we can talk about that so he has to talk to you and that's the special revelation so yes would he talk to ancient tribes and do it in a way that they could process yes i believe he would right well and the common objection i hear from a lot of my skeptic friends and you've heard it too i'm sure there's no evidence for god's existence i mean that's a it's not a very refined or or thoughtful response because uh it, it precludes i mean the expectations of of the naturalist um, prohibit further inquiry about about what, uh, what how God would reveal Himself. I mean, through creation, through Scripture. Um, there's that. That's really strange. Yeah, that's a really strange point. And I talk about that a lot in the article that I wrote for uh, the God and Cosmology book that you held up. Ah, there it is. Yes. Okay. Um, if you're an atheist, I said atheists come in all stripes. Okay, but some of them will say atheism is a default position. It's not unlike the accusation they make against Christians. Christians say we believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is where faith comes from. That's why you folks don't prove anything. and That's why you're vulnerable to the million superstitions that also don't prove everything. That's why. Why should I pick you over the million superstitions? So that's what atheists, that's the accusation against theism. And we come back and say, but you think that you're the default position. You don't have to prove everything. Well, that leaves you <laughs> vulnerable to the million superstitions. <laughs> if I was an atheist, I would not stand on that. I would be out there doing the same things that I'm doing as a theist. I would be out there saying, is there evidence for my worldview? Is, and there are positive, positive in the, uh, the active sense. There are positive arguments for atheism, like the argument from gratuitous evil, uh, the hiddenness argument. Why does God seem like he's not there? Um, the you could make there's there's other ones. Uh, so you'd be on that, but mostly we'd be talking about very similar things. Can I painstakingly go through Kalam arguments, uh, Aquinas-based metaphysical arguments, the uh, cosmological version of the design argument? What does it look like? Uh, I, uh, I'm of the, uh, a lot of us are of that framework that you need to show that things are proven. Do you need that for faith? No, because it's the Holy Spirit and Christianity. As Dr. Craig would say, it, that, a minister, that this plays a ministerial rather than magisterial role. Okay. But even if I was atheist, I would be looking for where the evidence leads you painstakingly. Now, the thing that interferes with that is what we were saying before, the stakes are so high. Am I insignificant? And I mean totally insignificant versus completely significant. So well, if that's the case, then it's very hard to clear-mindedly and painstakingly go through all this. Uh, but that's where we are. And, when, and I talk about the publicly available evidence. I can't show you the Holy Spirit in my heart as properly basic knowledge telling me God exists, et cetera, et cetera. The things that we can talk about to each other are the publicly available evidence, like we're we're discussing here what does modern that's why we're in modern cosmology discussion that by the way is why in post-christian society we treat cosmologists like we used to treat priests 500 years ago okay because they have something to say that 
does get on the why question and the purpose question, no matter how much the Sean Carrolls and the Stephen Hawkings of the world want to say, no, those aren't valid questions, you still end up right there. And yeah. The- I mean, we have Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk uh, spending lots of money to go into the universe and just for a few seconds or a few minutes glimpse the beauty of uh, a vista that few human beings have ever seen. And only 12 people have, have been 240,000 miles away from us and walked on the surface of another planet. And yet we are driven or in the, I think this is, this is just a Daniel argument here that, that, um, you know, Genesis says we are created in the image and likeness of God and that, that he has built us into the fabric of the cosmos to resonate with the cosmos it was in it's it, it's made to be discoverable i think it was um um i i, I don't know if it was, it was bill it's dr carol or dr craig in the discussion uh or it was something else i read i forgot where it was my mind is such a, a travesty of, of a jungle of thoughts but uh but the idea that the, the that that we need uh enter we need fine-tuning to 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 maybe not for human life purposefully in in terms of it's not primarily for us but it has to at least be this way so we can observe the universe, that, that we have to have these parameters to, to even make observations and, and think about them. And, of course, it seems like teleologically, when you talk about purpose and intention, that, that we can't help but resonate with the beauty and the wonder of the universe. There are very few people I encounter who would say the universe is not beautiful or awe-inspiring. Carl Sagan was like, you know, it inspires senses of reverence and awe unbidden right that we we intuitively know that something in fact in cosmos in 1987 said something like um you know our ancestors weren't foolish for worshiping the sun and doesn't it make sense since we came from stars that we should worship the sun and other stars doesn't that make sense we need to be revering something why not the the very things from which we came and so that you know here's this concession that we don't we're, we're not going to not worship Right, James, that we, we, we're going to worship something, whether it's our models or the cosmos itself or hopefully Jesus. Uh, we are designed to worship. We're designed to know what this is all about. And I think the very nature of the inquiry, that there are even, there's even a profession called cosmology or astronomy, tells you the truth of what the scriptures say. This is a worthy pursuit worthy of a career that gives you sustenance it gives you it feeds your family as we've been talking about right it's a it's a career move you can be an astronaut you can be an astronomer you can be a cosmologist you can be an astrophysicist this is a career of just engaging what god has made psalm 111 2 uh the greater the works of the lord they're delighted uh, they delight in uh, those who delight in them i forgot i just killed the verse the greater the works of the lord they are delighted by all who study in them something like that it's over the cavendish laboratory in uh in cambridge but i think i think what you're saying you know this this very question that i, I love how you put that james that that we're looking at cosmologists and astronomers today as as having the same kind of stature as the medieval theologians pondering these wide questions yeah and we want the public which we are a part, of course, we want to put them up there on that pedestal. And that's why we pay them lots of money for the books that they write. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it's not because they, they were really interested in the details of the math or something. Wow, isn't that fascinating? <laughs> yeah. It's because of right. what it has to say for, for who we are. Right, who we who are. We, that's right, uh, that's right. You know, either way, the answer, well, whatever the answer is. 
Yeah. Uh, you, well, it's, it's quicker because of the way that, that we, the, the, our very nature, and there's a whole discussion there. Why is our nature that way? Uh, uh, you know, Alvin Plantinga, uh, the famous Christian philosopher, maybe the foremost Christian philosopher, uh, um, he wrote a book a while back about, he actually assessed the design argument. I don't know if you've read that book. Uh, and in it, he said, you know, the most powerful thing about the design argument is not the technical argument, the thing that I and Robin Collins get into. Uh, it's this powerful reaction that we have, what we call it, we call it the design inference, or the, the design intuition. It's really an intuitional response to the universe. Uh, that's the powerful thing that you're triggering. The logical argument is quite separate to that and has its uh, its own value uh, so but all of us seem to be i'll say designed that way if, if you bring if you're bringing the atheists into the conversation we'll say apparently designed uh, but uh, i don't think they disagree that you look at the heavens and uh, you have this powerful impression that it looks like it's designed you don't you have to work hard to see carl sagan's pale blue dot as opposed to that is a miracle. And here is probably one of the most recognizable images for which Dr. Sagan is, is most well known. It's called the pale blue dot. Now, the pale blue dot was a photograph of Earth taken by the Voyager 1 satellite on February 14th, Valentine's Day of 1990. Uh, and it, Dr. Sagan was integral in getting NASA to turn Voyager around and take pictures of the planets of our solar system as it was going out of the solar system. And so we, we can thank Dr. Sagan for this wonderful, iconic image uh, called the pale blue dot. Now here you see this shaft of sunlight. And if you look up in the top right corner there, you can see that little white dot. That is Earth from 3.7 billion miles away. That's the pale blue dot. And of course, Dr. Sagan speaks so eloquently about uh, you know our smallness in the cosmos when he reflects upon the pale blue dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one part of the dot on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of another part of the dot. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe seemed to me challenged by this point of pale light. Uh, so um, you can adopt that mindset, but there's a tension against it. Humans are not like that. And you say, why is that? Why do we seek purpose in the why question? And don't don't tell me that it's not a valid question. That's not going to, I'm telling you, Dr. Carroll, that's not going to fly. Right. Well, that's what he does. He just tries to brute fact. People, the, 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 if you, if you want to argue that it's an invalid question, then argue that it's an invalid question and show me why I'm meaningless. And I will follow you uh, to that end wherever it goes. Although I don't think that's where you're going to end up. Uh, I think that Kalam shows up front, there's a transcendent cause. And yeah. that's the beginning of the conversation. And we got to start there and say, right. who, is, who, who or what is the cause and what does it mean? 
That's right. Well, and, and, and when Paul's talking about the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel in Romans 10, 18, and then, of course, Romans 1, uh, that, that God has clearly revealed himself to us and what he has made. And that's the exhortation, I think, that, that that's why we're, we're forever trained skyward. Lots of us live under the domes of light pollution and don't see dark, starry, starry skies. Uh, I have the wonderful privilege of doing that out where I live, but... But we're so blinded to the beauty of the universe. Um, but but still, God is drawing our attention upward. And I think as long as he tarries in his coming, there will be cosmologists and Christians and theists and astronomers debating and looking and wondering in awe of the universe. We're not done with that. It's not going to go away. You know, uh, it's there. It's always there. But it reminds us, uh, Psalm 19 is quoted in Romans 10, 18, um, that the heavens declare the glory of God, and, and the, the voice of the universe has gone out throughout the whole world. God has demonstrated his invisible attributes to us through what he has made. Even, I think you mentioned it earlier, the skeptics with the with the comment of the apparent design. I've heard Lawrence Krauss and others say that you know, Richard Dawkins, even, even the most uh, uh, outspoken new atheists, will concede it all looks designed. It, there's this illusion of design, but don't take it seriously because it, because it could lead you somewhere. <laughs> right. So are they, so are, are all our PhDs and the whole focus of academia in Western society, are they leading us painstakingly through the difficulties of showing us that all, everything that we see. Okay. We'll follow that course. As I just said, I would with Dr. Carroll. And if you end up there, fine. Or is it the opposite? The emperor has no clothes that you can look at it and say, or R.C. Sproul, uh, used to uh, argue this. He'd say it takes a PhD to believe, to, to force yourself to believe all this thing about the B variant of time and these mathematical constructs that somehow let expansion of the universe be finite over infinite time. You have to be very carefully do all of these things that to me look like special pleading. And if you do that, okay, maybe uh, you can appear to get where. Uh, you, you'd like to go, uh, but I believe the emperor has no clothes. That's right. That's my conclusion too. That uh, it's time to uh, stand for the truth and 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 participate in the conversation. And uh, it's just not just for academia. There was like nine hundred people that showed up to this. Uh, they packed the chapel there in New Orleans. As far as I, it's what Bob says in the beginning of the book. There was uh, several yeah. hundred people there. Uh, so it's phenomenal interest in this topic. And I know uh, in 2020, when I was at uh, New Orleans for Defend 2020, um, my boss James Walker uh, knows Bob, and and they got me into a to a uh, to do a breakout session. I was like, yeah, it was very last minute, but I was very thankful and very excited about it. And I I did a breakout session on how the heavens declare the glory of God. They put me into a little classroom, thinking, oh, nobody knows who Ray is. I mean, nobody knows who's nobody. I'm, I'm I'm a nobody, and people are like, I oh, don't worry about it. you know. You might have 10 or 15 people show up. James, I had unexpectedly, delightedly, I had 60 people in there and people were sitting on the floor. <laughs> it was really yeah. cool, you know? So there's an interest out there. And hopefully in 2022, COVID will go away and we can do that again, right? That's right. Well, it, uh, yeah. De- Defend 2022 is on the, on the mat uh, right now. It's in the stages of being planned. And so hopefully that will go through. Well, James, thank you for a wonderful conversation and your wonderful insights. Uh, this was just so fun. You know, we go from science fiction to... To more science fiction and to what is science, what is philosophy, what is theology, and an excellent, excellent uh, discussion. I really enjoyed it. Very fun. Uh, tell tell our friends um, 
who are fascinated by our, our rambling conversation, uh, where they can find more of your, your, your work. Where, where can we find James Sinclair's uh, thoughts on the cosmos out there uh, in, in, in the universe? Okay. Well, here's a book put out by Reasons to Believe, written by Jeff Swerink. He was the astrophysicist in, 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 uh, in uh, Hiras called Escaping the Beginning. Okay. This talks a lot about um, all these topics, fine-tuning, beginning of the universe. And I was, I did not write the book, but I was significantly involved uh, in Excellent. that book. Excellent. Uh, of, course, of course, we mentioned God and Cosmology. So that you get reasons.org or Amazon.com. Um, God and Cosmology, I don't think it can, can you get this on Kindle yet? Uh, I think you can. I don't um, know. I don't be, know. It might still be expensive. Um, the original article, Blackwell Companion to Natural Theology. You can read yes, that. that's that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. And this has not just our article, but a whole host of arguments for a cumulative case in favor of Christianity. Uh, this is kind of hard. This is one I, Dr. Craig and I published an academic article on this, which is a follow up to the Blackwell. Okay. Uh, article. I'm just showing you where things are that I've. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, this is great. I didn't even know a couple of these. This is fantastic. Uh, let's see. And of course, I'm on Twitter. And uh, uh, it's, yeah, so yeah. In, oh, and uh, I don't have it in front of me, but the article that uh, uh, Jesuit priest, Father Robert Spitzer. Yeah, we'll link, we'll link all of that. I'll put the uh, Twitter, I'll put your book references, I'll put everything down in there. Uh, in the magic link box and uh, people can can follow up with your uh, with your work with Dr. William Lane Craig and all the other things that you do cosmologically. Thank you, James Sinclair. And, let, me uh, note, let me note that before we leave. Reasonablefaith.org, that's Dr. Craig. And reasons.org, that's reasons to believe. Gotcha, gotcha. And by the way, just, you maybe not know this, I just interviewed Hugh uh, yesterday. No, it was two days ago. No, two days ago. I interviewed Dr. Ross for uh, flood geology. We did a special on young oh. earth, old earth, <laughs> flood geology. Oh, so you get you get into the old earth versus young earth stuff. Okay. Uh, that's we, that's we, where angels fear to tread. We, uh, <laughs> we, we don't. We just go, here's young earth. So we, we literally, it wasn't a live debate, but we took Institute for Creation Research and we took Reasons to Believe and we said, give us your best stories. So we got a geologist from ICR, and we got we got Hugh from RTB, and 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 what we were looking for was a respectful mutual respect. So why don't you uh, wrap up with some closing thoughts? You know, what, why is this important for 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 us folks that shop at Target and don't really look up at the sky or don't really know anything about fancy theoretical cosmology? Why should we care about what we're talking about, James? It, it's all about meaning and purpose to life and why we're here and if god exists and he has a purpose for you don't don't you want to know about it um, if uh, if he doesn't exist what does that mean all right so mm-hmm. that's why the debate between dr carroll and dr craig why it got as much attention as it did instead of it being some dry academic debate that no one cares about it's, small points in philosophy I said cosmologists end up like our modern day priests because people want to know if there's meaning and importance to their lives uh, and uh, how they should be treating other each other and what they're doing yeah. and you also want to know and there's a lot of people out there like uh, like I think your audience is going to be that um, 
you need to see the evidence for things and see where the evidence goes and where it lies. So you can't, you don't want these gatekeepers out there saying, don't look at this, you're not allowed to look at that. Don't look at that. This doesn't matter. That's not going to stop the, our audience here. We have to track down these issues and know what the evidence says about it. And that's the nature of why there was a debate and why there still is one. Uh, and that's kind of what we do. I think that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Also, is Try to bring, bring more people into this conversation. We want to know what can be known and what can be shared. That's why I call publicly available information. What is it possible to know about whether God exists and if God exists, who God is and what he has to say to us and what is everything about and, and what are we doing? Mm-hmm. And we're living our lives right now. So I don't have time for to spend 50 years trying to figure this out. What can I know now that right. informs my life so that I move right. forward? If right. Jesus really is God out there and there's salvation and redemption, like uh, the author Nancy Percy talks about this a lot, that everyone has a worldview and there's redemption in it from somewhere. Uh, and so because the world, we see that there's evil and wrong in it. And is it redeemed? Okay. And so the, yes, the world is redeemed. Uh, if I want to know if that's true or not. And if, like I was in my Baptist church back when I was age 10 or something, and I was convicted sitting in the pew saying, have I done wrong to others? Yes, I have. What does that mean? Can I ask forgiveness? Can there be forgiveness? Can I, can I, can I, I try to make right what I've done? Um, and ultimately, where are we going after this? What are mm-hmm. we What are we here for? Is there an after? And what are we supposed to do there? Excellent. Okay. So yeah. all of this leads into that. And that's right. why most people are interested in it and will continue to be. Right. So then when we look at the stars, we are ultimately, it's like the stars, you know, from a scientific perspective, the stars elicit photons, right? These tiny little light, massless light particles that have been traveling and traveling and traveling. They enter. They literally enter our eye. Trigger this thing called the eleven cis retina, whatever that is. I'm not sure, but it's a light switch that tells your brain light is here, and it has a message. And immediately we see these little photons from these distant worlds, and we're like, "Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful! It is so fantastically beautiful." I went out this morning and saw the constellation of Pegasus above my head. Orion is coming up on the horizon uh, shortly in the next week or two. I'll be able to see it. Um, you know, initially when I see Orion come up before the sun, I know fall and winter are on the way. It's fantastic, but it's so beautiful. I love dark skies. It's but it but it it just it does it triggers all those thoughts. You know, David and Psalm eight as we began our conversation that what is when I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the sun and the moon, the moon and the stars which thou hast created. What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. James Sinclair, physicist extraordinaire, cosmologi- cosmologically uh, in tune with the fine-tuning and the origin of the universe, cosmogony, uh, a, a, a help me to Bill Craig, and uh, a wonderful gentleman and a scholar. Thank you so much, James, for your time today. Thank you so much for inviting me. And to my mind, it's almost undeniable that God's existence is much more probable given the evidence that we have for the beginning of the universe and the fine-tuning of the universe, and therefore contemporary cosmology is strongly confirmatory of theism.
question. I would have to really delve into some of the historical data, but in terms of somebody, an iconic person who, um, you know, I mean, was like really, um, I think by modern standards would be considered a really enlightened hippie. Um, and I really <laughs> admire that and somebody who really, you know, I think that's a really wonderful thing and uh -huh. um, somebody who really was interested in treating people equally and um, who, uh, you know, didn't, didn't see a lot of the distinctions um, between groups that are so central to yes. um, the way we organize ourselves today, um, sadly. But your dad, and from the contact quote, your dad, your dad was not a, a mythicist. He did believe in the existence of Jesus of Nazareth as a, as a person, anyway. Correct? I think so. I don't. I'm gonna have to ask my mom. I don't know. I I think so. We have to. <laughs> we have to. Yeah. Wow.